Um, and you may, if you don't know the prophet Isaiah, you might know the composer Handel. He made it famous back in the 17th century. So um, whatever it is, I'm so glad that you guys are here and we get to talk about this. Now, I am somebody who absolutely loves Christmas. Um, and let me say at the beginning of that, as part of loving Christmas, and maybe you've been in church and you've been coming to church from the very beginning and always being here for Christmas, is a challenge with the Christmas season is that you know the story. You've sung the songs. You've decorated all the cookies. Like, you know everything. And what Christmas can sometimes become is Christmas can become just like a Hallmark movie for us. It's like we love the story. It's very predictable, but it's also heartwarming. And so we come and we hear, but it's just kind of like we zone out. We're like, okay, yeah, this is nice. But here's the thing about the Christmas story and about Jesus's life. Jesus's life was anything but predictable. Jesus's birth and the events leading up to it, and then Jesus's life, his death and resurrection, is just the craziest, most incredible event that this world has ever seen. And sometimes when we just gloss over the Christmas story, we miss out on the impact that this can have both on our lives and our world today. And so my challenge for you this week and next and this whole season is to attempt to hear the Christmas story with new ears, to have fresh eyes and ask God, hey God, what is it that you are speaking to me this year in this? Because I'm willing to bet that if you do that, this Christmas season, God could transform your life. So like I said, I love Christmas. Um, there are some people in this world who think that, you know, you have to wait until after Thanksgiving to celebrate Christmas. Um, yeah, I am not one of those. Um, I think that Christmas is, well, really, it's a way of life. So it's really, there's no wrong time to celebrate Christmas. But um, I love Christmas so much that last week, actually, my wife and I went to the United Kingdom over Thanksgiving because if you want to know something about the UK, they don't have Thanksgiving. So it's always Christmas there. As soon as Halloween hits, it is Christmas. And so you don't even have to worry about the turkey. You just go straight into decking the halls. And so we were there last week. I, let me say, I love Thanksgiving too. We celebrated it there. Yay. Um, but, you know, we went to the UK, and here's something that I also learned about the UK. They love Christmas just as much as I do. Like, you go to London, and it is Christmas everywhere. Or better yet, you go to Edinburgh. Edinburgh is now my favorite city in the world. Like, you, you go to Edinburgh and you find out that they are more Christmas than Christmas. Like, it is unlike anything else. But, you know, if you've ever traveled to a new place, um, you know that it's sometimes nice to actually know things about where you're going, um, to study it ahead of time. But me, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. And so I actually didn't quite do this. But I figured, you know, we're going to a place where they speak English. Um, I'm going to be okay. And, you know, for the most part, 99, maybe 95% of the time, I was fine. I mean, London is very similar to here. There's a little more history. It's a little more Harry Pottery. But it's like, we, you're going to be okay. But there's that 5%. And so, like, the first day we get there, and we're going to go on the tube. If you've heard of the tube, that's like their trail system. And the tube map looks a little bit like this. Yeah, so let's say you don't know where you are, and you walk into this underground place, and you see this on the wall. This is supposed to take you anywhere you want to go. No, I don't think so. But thankfully, my wife went to undergrad, which they call uni, um, in London, and so she has been through here. She knows all the colors, knows all the stops, could take us anywhere we needed to go. But later that day, we were shopping, 
and I really had to go to the restroom. But you go into a store, and you don't see signs for the restroom anywhere, but you do see this sign up here. Does anybody know what that stands for? Water. Water. How do you guys know this? Water closet. Like, how does water closet say restroom? It doesn't. Um, But again, thankfully, Taylor was able to say, Brett, that's it. Just follow it. Go there. Like, okay, fine. So that was good. Saved my day again. But then there was a third thing. We'd start walking down the street, and we'd come to just this picture. What is that? It's an intersection. Not a big deal. And so I'd start crossing it. Then all of a sudden, Taylor grabbed my arm, yanked me back, and said, Brett, what are you doing? Do you guys notice anything about that intersection? There's no stop sign. In London, they don't have stop signs. Do you know what cars don't do at intersections? They don't say, I don't even know if they yield. Um, At least from my experience, maybe they do. Maybe they were angry drivers. They don't stop. And so thankfully, I had Taylor who knew London, who knew what this was like to walk with me through it, to show me where to go, to protect me. And because of her, we were able to have this amazing trip, experiencing this beautiful part of our world and experience the history and just, yeah, the beauty of London. You know, I begin to understand a little bit more of why people pay tour guides to show them around towns when they don't know it, or they visit travel blogs to learn more about places before you go somewhere. If you talk to somebody or if you're with somebody who knows what they're doing or where they're going, it can completely change your entire trip or your entire experience. You know, if you think about it, isn't that true for life as well? And there's one constant in life, and that's that life is always changing. Sometimes those changes are good, and sometimes those changes are bad, but almost always change means you're facing something new or else you're facing something you've known before but in a little bit of a different way. It could be that you're starting a new job or you're moving to a new school or you're moving to a new city or you have a new relationship and all of those can be terrifying but also exciting. But change can also be the opposite. Sometimes it can be an unwelcome change. Maybe it's the end of a relationship. Maybe it's a season of unemployment or a sickness in your family, maybe even yourself. It might be new feelings of anxiety or loneliness or depression. Or it could be anything you just fill in the blank that makes you feel like you're simply wandering in the dark. That when life is coming towards you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. And all you need, all you're hoping for, is somebody to step into your life to walk with you through it. I mean, have you ever been in a season like that? You know, when I first moved to California, that was me. I moved to California about 10 years ago now. And when I moved out here, I moved here from Wisconsin, and I didn't know a single soul. And I moved across the country into a studio apartment. And those first few months of my life were some of the most lonely moments of my life because I didn't know anybody. I had many nights sitting in my room wondering, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Wondering, am I ever going to make friends here? Wondering, why on earth did I make this choice? Have you ever known those feelings? Have you ever had those moments in your life? Maybe you're in a season like that right now. And if you are, I want you to know that you're not alone. You know, in this series, we're talking about the prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. 
And in the context of that prophecy, the people in Judah are living in one of these seasons. They're living in one of these moments where they're wondering what is going on, what is happening in the world around me, how on earth did we get here? So you see, about 800 years before the very first Christmas, the kingdom of Judah had just gotten a new king. As a king, a guy named Ahaz. And Ahaz, we learn about in 2 Kings, and the writer of 2 Kings does a really great job of sort of giving you a Cliff Notes version of each king's dynasty before they start. And Ahaz, he says this about Ahaz. He says, he didn't do right in the Lord's eyes, unlike his ancestor David. Instead, he walked in the ways of Israel's king. He even burned his own son alive imitating the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. See, the author of 2 Kings, he's telling us about King Ahaz's life. He's not just wanting to let us know, hey, he's a bad king. He wants to make sure we know this guy was a bad person in general. There wasn't anything good about this guy. And see, the primary role of a king at that point in Israel and Judah was to guide the people. The people trusted in the king to guide them and to protect them. And one thing that set Israel and Judah's kings apart from other kings is that these kings were supposed to do this by focusing on one thing, and that's God. They were supposed to lead their kingdom by trusting in God to protect them and to guide them wherever they went. But Ahaz, he was a different sort of guy. Ahaz didn't actually care about who God was. Ahaz thought, you know, I got this all figured out for myself. And there's this one point in Ahaz's rule where um, some neighboring countries formed an alliance to come after Judah. And we read about this in, um, in Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, likely knowing the fear or the anxiety that Ahaz is feeling about this incoming invasion, goes to Ahaz and says to him, basically saying, hey man, I know what's going on. I know how you're feeling, but here's what you need to do. You need to trust God. Remember who your God is. Trust him. He's going to protect you. God's got you. He's done it before. He will do it again. So what does Ahaz do? Well, the opposite, of course. Ahaz instead says, you know, I think I got this figured out. In fact, there's another nation that's beyond these nations, the nation of Assyria. They're really strong. I think if I form an alliance with them, if I go to them, they're going to help me out. And we actually read this in 2 Kings 16, 7. He goes to the king of Assyria, this king who has been destroying other nations, imprisoning and putting people into slavery. And he says, hey, I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who is attacking me. Basically saying to this king, hey, I know you're a terrible guy, but hey, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you with all the decisions that I need to make to lead my king. I need you to help me. Again, for Judah and Israel, what was a king supposed to do? Protect his people. And so in a sense, Ahaz did that. But how were they supposed to protect their people? By trusting in God. Not Assyria, in God. You know, if you were someone in Judah and all of a sudden you heard that your king 
had formed an alliance with the most dangerous um, nation in the world at that time, with a king who is known for enslaving the people that they take over, what would you be thinking? Probably like, are you kidding me? Ahaz, are you crazy? Like, what is going on here? This could possibly be the worst decision you could possibly do. Now, there's a new Geico commercial. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's a parody of horror films. And in this Geico commercial, you can go home and Google it. It's pretty sweet. Um, but it starts with this group of people running through this cornfield, and they get to this opening, and they're wondering, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And so one person sees this creepy old house, and he goes, oh, let's go up into that house into the attic. And the other person goes, no, no, the basement is a much better idea. And then there's this other woman in the group, and she looks and points, and there's a running car. And she goes, can't, can't we just go in that running car? And so the group looks at it, they think, and then the fourth guy goes, are you crazy? Let's go to that shed of chainsaws. And you see this chainsaw is just dangling in there. And so they go, great idea. And they go run, and they hide behind the chainsaws, and the serial killer is just watching them, being like, really, people? You know, I imagine Isaiah, as he's watching Ahaz's decisions, sort of looking at him like that, like, really? God has given you a running car. He's saying, trust me, I'm going to take care of you. But you're going to go hide behind those chainsaws? Really? You know, for me, it's easy for me to think about that and maybe for you to think about that decision that he made and think like, come on, man, you got to be better than that. But if I take a moment to think about my own life, I oftentimes realize that there's a little bit of Ahaz in me as well. I mean, how often in my life does God say to me, Brett, do you trust me to take care of you, to have all that you need? But what do I do? I just grasp harder and harder onto the things in my life that I think I can control. Thinking, oh no, God, it's okay. I got this. What about you? When faced with trusting God or yourself, do you make that same choice? When God says to you, do you trust me with your future? Or do you say, hey, you know, God, I think I have the strength, I have the wisdom, I have the knowledge to figure this out for my own. Or maybe God says, you know, hey, will you trust me when life doesn't seem like it could get any worse? Or do you respond and say, you know, I think I'm just going to head this way. I'm just going to lean into maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's sex or relationships or Netflix or fill in the blank of the different things that we turn to in order to try to control what happens in our life or maybe just numb out the pain of the reality around us. You see, I think that we can all look at Ahaz's decision and think, really? You're really going to choose to hide behind those chainsaws? But the reality is, is that we're not too different than him. See, for the people of Judah at that time, their king and their guide had led them into this new season, this new season of darkness. And in this season, they're probably wondering some of the questions that we wonder about our own lives. 
Maybe they're feeling a little bit confused, thinking, how on earth did we get here? Maybe they're anxious about the uncertainties of the days or the months or the years to come. Maybe they're a little bit afraid of the changes that might be coming or whatever the future might hold for them. But they're sitting in this season of darkness, wondering what on earth is going on. But it's here in this moment, in this feeling, where Isaiah steps in and he gives the message found in Isaiah chapter 9. And he says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, a light has dawned. And then in verse six, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah's coming to them and saying, guys, hold on to hope. Darkness is here now, but someone is coming. Your wonderful counselor is just around the corner. Now, I want to focus just tonight for a little bit on what does it mean for God to be our wonderful counselor? And when you hear this word counselor, what comes to mind for you? And for me, the first thing that comes to mind is my therapist. The person I talk to and I've been talking to for a couple years now, just about anything going on in my life. The person that's helped me with relationships, that's helped me in my relationship with friends, with my wife, what's helped me with work stress and anything in between. And when we think about Wonderful Counselor, this idea of a therapist is helpful to an extent, but it also limits the greatness or the power that is found in Jesus actually being our Wonderful Counselor. Literally translated, wonderful counselor means wonder of a planner. It's not just talking about somebody who wants to give you advice, someone for you to talk to, but someone who is actually going to pave the way for you. Someone who is going to plan your route, plan your trip, and walk with you through it. In a sense, it's like a therapist meets a travel guide. It's someone who wants to talk with you, but it's also someone who wants to walk through it with you. Now, when Judah heard this word, wonderful counselor, what do you think came to mind for them? Well, they probably thought about the current situation that they were in right here, because the reason why they were in this situation was because they had a terrible counselor. They had a king who was supposed to be their guide, their king who was supposed to lead them in the right way. But instead, he made these plans and worked with people who led them deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness. The wonderful counselor is what they wanted more than anything else. They wanted somebody who's going to lead them to that running car, not lead them into that shed of chainsaws. And so when they heard this, what they would have probably said to Isaiah is, Isaiah, when is this going to happen? We need this person right now. But Isaiah is just saying, he's coming. Have hope. Hold on. And then many thought the king who followed Ahaz, King Hezekiah, was going to be this person. And in many ways, Hezekiah was. Hezekiah did a lot of things different than Ahaz did. Hezekiah broke ties with Assyria. He turned people back to the Lord. He made a lot of great choices where Ahaz failed. Yet, Hezekiah, like you and me, was still a faulty human. 
was still somebody with pride, still someone with their own desires. And one lapse in judgment for Hezekiah ended up leading Judah eventually into exile. And the people were likely wondering, Isaiah, when is this guy coming? We need this person in our lives right now. But then one day, the story of Christmas that we all know, that we all love, it begins. And an angel appears to Joseph, and he says to Joseph in a dream, says, hey, your wife is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And when that baby is born, you are to give that baby the name Jesus. And then the author of Matthew, he brings back Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, and he says this, about this moment. He says, now all of this took place so that, the, uh, so that the, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call that son Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. In that moment, the angel is telling Joseph and telling us, God has come to be with us. And right here is where I think it, we find the key to what it means for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. You see, instead of sitting in a palace like the kings of old, living lives disconnected from others, leading from afar, um, this person that they were looking for was going to leave the, that castle. He was going to enter into people's lives and sit with them to guide them to walk with them, to be with them. See, Judah, when they heard this prophecy from Isaiah, what they were hoping for and what they were waiting for was for a king to lead them. But what they really needed was a God who was going to start walking with them, who was going to step into their world and into their lives, say, follow me, walk with me, trust me, I've got you. And then years later, after Jesus grows up, and right before he proclaims his very first message, Matthew again brings back the prophet Isaiah. And this time, he brings back the Isaiah 9. And Matthew says this. He says, the people who lived in dark have seen a great light. A light has come upon those who lived in the region in the shadow of death. Basically reminding people, hey guys, remember what I told you back then? The darkness is coming to an end. The light is here. And right after he quotes this verse, Jesus gives his very first sermon. And he says, change your heart and your lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. See, the people in Judah and Israel, they had been waiting for their kingdom to be reestablished. But as you look throughout history, what you find out is when kingdoms are trying to be reestablished by people, those kingdoms are bound to fail. Because people are like us. People are always going to be following their own desires or their own needs, and it's never actually going to work out well. But Jesus is saying, I didn't come to reestablish your kingdom. I came to reestablish my kingdom. I came to start something new, to start what I wanted you to be from the very beginning. And so it's here. Come with me. I'm walking through this with you. I am with you in this. Let's start this new kingdom together. Let me be your guide. See, Isaiah's prophecy, 800 years before Jesus' birth, was a prophecy for the people or to the people living in Judah. 
people living in darkness about a future hope. But that prophecy for us today is a prophecy of present day hope and life in this king who stepped down from heaven to walk with us, to be our counselor throughout life and to be with us every step of the way. You see, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, wants to take your darkness and to step into it and then to lead you out of that into life. So what does that mean for us today? Like, I know this is all good for us to hear and to think about, but what does this actually look like in our lives? Well, first thing I think is this, and it's just a simple truth that God is with you and God is guiding you. Matthew's account, I love this about Matthew's account. It opens by telling us about Jesus will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus' final words in Matthew are this. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus' final words are then, surely I am with you always. It's kind of like Matthew wanted you to know a secret. And that secret is that, you know what? God is going to be with you. He's going to start at the birth, but it's going to never really end. I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. I am with you. You see, Jesus' presence wasn't just a presence that was around for 30 years, 2,000 years ago. Jesus' presence is something that is alive and well in us today, and he does this by giving us his spirit. He says in Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, when we choose to live life in this new kingdom that Jesus came to establish, Jesus promises to give us his spirit in the process. This means that the one who knows what it was like to be rejected by those closest to him is the one who is with you, sitting with you in it. The one who experienced injustice and experienced the persecution of speaking out against injustice is with you, fighting with you, holding you up. The one who felt the pain of loss is weeping with you comforting you. You see, through his spirit, Jesus continues to be with us today, counseling us, nudging us, guiding us, leading us through the darkness and into the light. Let me ask this question. Where do you need Jesus to step into your darkness today? Because he will. The second thing that I think it teaches us or it makes us think about is Will or like, will we actually say yes to Jesus' invitation to walk with him? Will you trust Jesus to be your wonderful counselor? And have you ever given a friend advice, maybe dating advice, and they're like, hey, I want to know what you think, and then they heard you, but then they went off and did the exact opposite and ended up just being having more and more problems? Maybe you've actually been that friend who ended up doing that. I know I have as well. If that ever happens, you quickly learn one thing. You can't force anybody to make a decision. You can't force anybody to live a certain way. Eventually, they have to make the decision for themselves to actually step into it. And I think the same is true for Jesus' invitation. See, we have the promise that Jesus is going to be with us. He wants to be with us. He's waiting for you to say, yes, Jesus, I want to walk with you. But he's waiting for us to say, 
Jesus, let's do this. I want to walk with you. Jesus wants to walk with you through it. How will you answer his question of, will you let me? When life seems like it couldn't get any worse, will you continue to say, yes, Jesus, I want to trust you? When you think you can do it on your own, or that you know all the right answers or all the right things to do, will you trust that Jesus actually has what's best for you? Will you answer, Jesus, yes, I will follow you, when what he tells you to do is be patient and continue sitting in that darkness? Will in those moments, will you say, yes, Jesus, I want you. I trust that you are my wonderful counselor. When a spirit nudges you to speak up or do something outside of your comfort zone, will you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to step with you. But now here's the cool thing about Jesus' spirit being with us. These decisions aren't decisions we just have to make on our own. When we invite Jesus into our lives, his spirit begins to work in us as well. And it gives us that courage and encouragement and the strength that we need in order to take that step and say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. And every time we make that choice, we take that step, we get a little bit better at doing it in the process. Will you trust Jesus to be your wonderful counselor? And the final thing is simply this. It also means that we walk with one another. See, when we trust Jesus to be our wonderful counselor, his spirit not only works in us, but it works through us as well into the lives of the people around us. It works through us to speak truth to others, to encourage one another, to support one another, to point people to the true wonderful counselor who wants to step into their lives as well. I'll tell you, I am here today because of many people, many of whom are in this room today who have done this for me who have come alongside of me in my dark times and gave me that encouragement when I needed it, who have pointed me back to Jesus and said, hey, man, you got to trust in him. He's going to be with you. And even when it doesn't feel like he is, I'm going to be here with you. When we trust Jesus to be our wonderful counselor, he then works in us to be that, to represent him to other people, to bring one another back to him. You see, that's why we meet here regularly. That's why we join life groups. It's so that we can do life together, so that we can come alongside people in the good times and the bad to encourage them, to help them out, to point them back to a God who stepped out of heaven into earth to walk through life with us, to know what we're going through, to be with us in it. You know, I'm so grateful for all of the leaders in our student ministry because when you lead with student ministry, you are literally representing Jesus in this way to students who desperately need to see the light that God has for them. Life for teenagers and for students today is harder than it's ever been before. And we have so many incredible adults who step into this every day, oftentimes not seeing any like positive things from the other side, but they just step into that to love students because they've experienced a love that Jesus has given them and they just want students to know that love as well. That's what happens when we let the wonderful counselor work in our lives and shape our lives and to help us pour into the world around us. Maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling alone. 
Maybe you're going through some sort of darkness or something and you just need somebody with you. My encouragement or my challenge to you, say something to somebody. It might be the person sitting next to you that you don't know. It might be me afterwards. It might be Adam or Mark or anybody else in this room, but say it to somebody else because you aren't meant to walk through this alone. And there is a God who loves you so much and he wants you to know that he wants to walk through this with you. So talk to somebody. Let them know we are in this together. See, 2,000 years ago, God stepped down into this world to do life with us, to guide us through life, to give us life. And every single day, we have an opportunity to step into this. The light has come. The wonderful counselor, he's here. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. Will you trust Jesus to be your wonderful counselor today? Let me pray for us. Hey, God, man, God, we love you so much. God, I thank you that, what, 800 years before Jesus' birth, you were already prepping people for your arrival, letting them know that there's one day that you're going to come and you're going to step into their darkness and step into their lives and you're going to bring us to a new light and a new life in you. God, I pray for anybody in here right now who feels like they're in that same place as the nation of Judah, just feeling like they're in darkness, wondering what's going on. God, I pray that tonight you become real to them. I pray that you meet them and that you guide them and then you nudge them and remind them of your love. And God, I pray for this community. I pray that we are a people that represents who you are to the world around us. And God, at this Christmas season, that we just step into that and that we experience your presence as God with us every day of our lives. God, we love you. In your name, amen.